Blob Talk Radio. Adam Haggerty's 
brainchild. So tuning in here, listen to all the other great shows here on B Plus Players Radio Network. And let's get into it. Lots of stuff to talk about. We're going to get into who's the best heels, best faces in wrestling history, and who knows where the show is going to go because just because. And without further ado, let's bring up my tag team partner who's all all the way from Connecticut. Dave, how are you doing this evening? I am doing fantastic. I am ready to make a list. I'm ready to check it twice, and I'm ready to tell our audience who in the history of pro wrestling was naughty or nice. Woo! And joining us special for this special episode, analyzing heels and faces, good guys and bad guys, Rocky Santiago is also here tonight. Rocky, how are you doing this evening? Doing fine, Ken, Dave. Always a pleasure to be on the show. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to see, uh, you know, who made the list? (laughs) He should make the list. I mean, that's... That's one of those things, man. I mean, Chris Jericho would be up there. Um, but let's talk. I mean, I think we're going to kind of be all over the place today, which is going to be fun. Uh, we kind of we had a pre-show meeting like we do, but um, you know, kind of what I wanted to do is just have some fun with this and analyze like different faces, different heels. Um, we have the list of of the top fifty um, that we can reference. Um, you know, the top fifty that's on WWE.com was in no particular order necessarily, so. You know, maybe we maybe we start ranking some people. There is another list. There's two lists on WWE.com. One, I think, is an older list. But we're talking about the newer list, which is the top 50 villains. And um, interesting stuff. And before we get into it, you know, the thing that I find intriguing about this list and talking about it, and I want to get, you know, both of your takes on, on heel. Let's start with the heels. And uh, who's on the naughty list? And what's really intriguing about the heel especially is, how the business has evolved. Um, growing up, we all on this show have grown up with or grew up with the idea of wrestling being real. And we grew up in an era where you loved the faces and you hated the heels. That was, that was kind of wrestling was a morality play. Heels went out of their way to get heat. Um, they were supposed to be booed and the faces were supposed to be cheered. The heels job was to put over the faces. And we grew up in that. We grew up in an era where we believed it to be real. We hated these heels and the performers themselves took great pride in crowds of thousands hating them. So it's interesting to me because when you look at like the heel persona, it's evolved in some ways and, a lot of times, if heels are t- are clever, getting cheered, wrestling has moved into um, gray area where there's there's not so much of the black and white, good guy, bad guy. Um, but all of us grew up in that era of you you hate the, the, the heel. Um, so I'm curious, like you know, as we talk about wrestling. Um, and I'll throw you, like, first I'll throw to Dave, because Dave, you know, I, I know you have, like, a, a real good grasp on, like, the history of wrestling and, um, you know, the really big knowledge base. But I'm curious your thoughts, like, when you look at the evolution of, of pro wrestling, you know, heels, faces, how things have changed, you know, your thoughts, like, when you watch wrestling today as opposed to your thoughts on a heel of yesteryear, 
Um, just overall, before we get into specific performers, your thoughts on how the business has changed? Well, it's changed dramatically when it comes to the heel babyface dynamic, especially in pro wrestling. But, I mean, you could say the same thing for a lot of different forms of art, sports, or entertainment, and how those genres and those things have evolved. And the heel babyface dynamic, like I said, has definitely changed over the course of 30-plus years for as long as I've watched wrestling. Like you said, when I was a kid, it was I wanted that bad guy to get his ass kicked. And full disclosure, I'll be perfectly honest with you, nowadays, um, there's not too many. When I watch wrestling, and obviously I watch wrestling for, on a, for a number of different reasons, one of them being this show, but when I watch wrestling nowadays, for me, I just want to see a good, sensible story. And like you said, Ken, in your opening, sometimes in today's wrestling, the heels are clever and they get cheered. And I also feel like when a heel does something so dastardly and so conniving and devious in today's world the fans will cheer it because it it's the it's the it's the creative direction that they wanted that particular story to turn to and to go to i mean you know for example let's say the the shane mcmahon kevin owens story that has been building up for several months now kevin owens for the most part you can look at him and say he's a throwback heel but at the same time, when you look closely and you watch programming nowadays, the fans still have respect for him, which you didn't get back in the day when someone did something bad. The fans didn't respect that person. Roddy Piper, for instance, who could be argued as the greatest bad guy in the history of professional wrestling, when he kicked Cindy Lauper, nobody respected him for that. Nobody wanted to cheer him, and nobody thought that he was a good guy for doing such a thing. And, and nowadays... You see guys that, you know, beat up either whether it's women or whether they do something so dastardly that you would, you would expect the younger audience to like it but, or to hate it. But instead, they respect that person and they like it because it's a cool twist to the story. So it, goes, it also goes to, back to, you know, wrestling nowadays and kind of peeling back that curtain and knowing a little bit more behind the scenes of what goes on for people's um, viewing habits of the 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 art form of pro wrestling itself. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just intriguing how much it, it it's changed, and 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 I agree with you, and and I kind of watch it similarly. As much as you know, I, I like looking at at a guy who who is like, and it's amazing because we do use that term a lot, like a throwback heel. Um, but yeah, I think you hit like a really good point as far as the heel psychology and and how it's changed. The, the respect factor, and you didn't respect the the heel. And, you know, there was there was a lesson, and it was an awesome uh, day that, I mean, I felt like I was in a car wreck afterwards because I, I went in a, in a training session where, uh, and Rock can attest to this too, uh, where we trained with the Kodiak Bear um, and Gino Caruso up at ECPW in Hiawatha, New Jersey, and we were in the ring for a good, like, three and a half hours just, working on things and taking bumps and, and, uh, oh, like, oh, I was hurt for a while. But, um, one of the things that, that the Kodiak bear told us, we were talking and he's like, you know, why does a heel cheat? And, you know, we, we throw out there, he does, you know, has no regard for the rules. Uh, you know, he doesn't care what he has to do to win. He does blah, blah, blah. And everything we're saying, he's like, no, 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 no. 
And, he's, and basically he said that the, the story that's told or should be told by the heel is the face is the better wrestler. The face is just better. And the heel is not willing to accept the fact that he's just not as good, so he's going to cheat to win. And he said it, it oversimplifies it, but he said that's essentially the story that needs to be told. And even if the heel is physically behind the scenes, skill set-wise, a better wrestler, he still has to kind of give the storyline that he's not as good as, as the face. And if both combatants obeyed the rules and wrestled straight up, the face is going to win every time. So the heel is going to cheat to win. And I, and I thought that was very interesting to look at that, the whole idea of, you know, what makes up a good heel and, and the persona of a good heel um, you know, and looking back, even, you know, we'll get into this with a guy like Ric Flair who um, would allow competitors to appear to have out-wrestled him um, to tell the story. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into the, the, the heel persona that has changed over time. Rocky, and I referenced the story. You were there as well. Your thoughts on the heel persona, the heel, heel psychology, and what's important to you in a heel? Well, yeah, Ken, definitely I, I remember that day, and uh, my, more importantly, my body remembers that day, and yeah, ouch, uh, and that, that was a tough session, but a great session, all all, uh, all kudos to Kodiak Bear for uh, sharing his knowledge, it was a great session, but uh, I think both you and Dave bring up excellent points about the, the psychology of the heel, and I would say us being older school fans and uh, having you know, been fans through the spectrum of the old school and the present day, I think what you see, you see the morality shift in America. Because if you look back, and I'm going to reference things other than wrestling to, to make this point, if you look back in the day in the 80s where, you know, you had, again, as Ken, you said, we believed it. We were invested. We were all in. But if you look at, like, the other things that we watch for entertainment, we watch stuff like, you know, uh, Little House on the Prairie. And uh, for a little bit further back, you know, the Andy Griffith Show. And you, you, you had America, you know, that really was, you know, the, ho- the wholesome hometown kid, which, you know, if you think about it, gave rise to champions like Bob Ackland, who embodied that. And you have that to now... You know, back then when the heels cheated, you you, you saw the crowds. The, the crowds went nuts. The crowds went absolutely crazy. Uh, well, one of my favorite matches that I remember is seeing. Uh, you know, the heel do his magic was George the Animal Steel, and he had a foreign object that he kept hitting his opponent with. But you know, in, in his true to masterful form, he did everything so the ref never saw it. But the crowd knew what was going on, and they were going absolutely nuts. Now, you know, juxtapose that with present, with something more modern, more present day, uh, speaking to, you know, crowds that appreciate a cheater. Say, take someone like Eddie Guerrero, who came up with one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best modern cheating spots of all, when he banged the chair on the, on the canvas, threw it to his opponent, and went limp. And people went nuts because it was clever, even though it was cheating. And 
people, you know, he lies, he cheats, he steals. He made it into his whole persona. So it, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic to see how heel psychology has, has evolved from yesteryear to present day. And, uh, you know, there are going to be its, its attractors, there are going to be its proponents, but just like society changes, just like the wrestling business, you know, you have to change with it. Uh, if, I think if you try to do the same heel stuff you did today that you did back then, it would lose a lot of its luster and you wouldn't get as many people invested as you do present day. That's just my take on it. And it is there. I think that's, that's the age-old debate. Like, you know, can you, can you give us the traditional heel um, in today's wrestling society and still get the crowd behind uh, booing this character? And I think it takes a little more creativity nowadays to make that work and create a bona fide heel that's going to get booed by uh, the, the crowd. Um, and, and that might be part of the problem uh, in, in the WWE with creative that, you know, it, it takes a little bit more. It takes a little bit extra to, to really create these bona fide heels in, in today's world. And I, I love the fact that you brought up the Eddie Guerrero spot because one of my favorite moments in the ring, and maybe I should apologize to you, Rock, um, because I, I may have I may have hit someone with a chair. <laughs> you may have. And before they turned around, I may have tossed said chair to Rocky, and and perhaps Rocky took the blame for for said chair shot. Um, a little fuzzy, but that may have happened. May, may have, um, I, but I, that, think, that, I think I may have ate that chair to the face as well. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, I mean, but that was like that was a tribute for us to to, to the late great Eddie Guerrero because it was such a great spot. But it's amazing that you know that's one of those things like that chair shot, as clever as it was, as entertaining as it was. Once once the curtain got pulled back in pro wrestling, that's when it became. And, and Eddie Guerrero might be the, the the one of the guys to really look at as like the benchmark. For, for really like the, the poster guy for, for when the business changed. Not that it exactly changed with him, but he's a guy to look at because here's a guy that came out to, I lie, I cheat, I steal. That was his thing. Like, you, you couldn't get more heel if you go back in, in the traditional sense that, like, that their moniker was, I lie, I cheat, I steal but he was able to parlay that into being one of the most popular faces in the company. So I, I think he's a guy to look at where a lot of stuff that he did would be typical heel stuff going back a few decades. Um, he kind of made it work as a face. Um, so it, it's intriguing when you look at how the business changed and you look at certain heels and, and who made a, a great heel and who maybe wasn't. Um, a guy like The Miz right now, to me, he's also a throwback um, type heel and we've gone on and on on the show how great he's done as of late um to me he's doing masterful work um i'm curious you know when we talk about heels and guys who are going to be on the naughty list guys who santa is not bringing presents to definitely getting cole in the stocking um and i want before we start getting into like really specific names I, i'm curious you guys if you have moments that you remember that jump out at you as you know Oh my God! I can't believe he did that. That was like, oh, or oh my God! I hated that guy when he did that. 
I mean, I know that, like, the obvious, the coconut with Jimmy Snuka, that jumps out as, like, you know, maybe the most singular greatest heel moment uh, ever. I mean, that was just incredible. But, like, for moments that may have jumped out at you, because when I thought about this show, the one thing that that I thought about, that a, a guy that is going to get coal in his stocking at least the year that he did this, Going back to the the build for WrestleMania 25, Randy Orton RKOing Stephanie and then kissing her while she's unconscious in front of Triple H, for me was a moment that like wow, what an asshole! And as much as the curtain had been pulled back and everything, it was just. I, I, to me, it was just amazing. It was just an, an amazing moment. Now, the match itself didn't deliver at WrestleMania, in my opinion. But that, to me, was a moment that when I think about a guy who who's gets it, who knows how to go after heat, and, and, and just, like, really crossed the line, um, Randy Orton in the build for WrestleMania 25, I thought that, that moment was spot on. How about you guys, Dave? Do you have a moment you look back on? It's a it's kind of, it's a combined moment. I watched this recently to kind of do a little bit of research on this show, but it involves Jake the Snake Roberts. First, when he used his cobra, the King Cobra, to bite Randy Savage when he had Randy Savage tied up in the ropes. And to me, as a kid, I remember being like so terrified of that. I was a big Jake the Snake fan when I was a kid. I was also a huge Macho Man fan. So that at that point in, in in my fandom, I was so disgusted as a as a young kid that Jake the Snake would do such a thing to Macho Man, virtually for no reason. I mean, he barged in and put the Cobra in the wedding box, you know, the wedding present at, at their wedding reception for no apparent reason, just to do it, just because he's just an evil dude. And then following that up was what really, for me as a kid, made me like realized, like you said, that, wow, what an asshole moment, was the match that Jake Roberts and Macho Man had at the This Tuesday in Texas pay-per-view in December of 1991. Savage won the match, and Jake DDT'd him like a bunch of times after the match. And Elizabeth came out, and she's begging and pleading with him not to, you know, stop. He's had enough. He's had enough. And he's getting in her face and, you know, saying that he's not a real man and just really taunting her grabs him, DDT. I must, he must have DDT'd him like half a dozen times. And at that point, that was when finishing moves mattered. When, when, when a finishing move meant you were like lights out, done. Savage sold it completely, perfectly. And the, the, here it comes. The moment when I was like overly disgusted with Jake the Snake Roberts is when he grabbed, the, grabbed Elizabeth by the hair and slapped her in the face. And I was like, oh, my God, like, you never hit a even, even at that age, I, I was always taught you never hit a woman. And he hit her in the middle of that ring, and Savage was incapacitated. I was, like, crawling out of my skin, like, when is Macho Man going to get his hands on him? And to me, that was that, that combined moment from Jake the Snake and his, his actions towards Savage and Elizabeth. That, that, to me, stands out as, like, a true dickhead of, uh, in, in every sense of the word. Yeah, and, and that's just it, man, like, Part of that, the, the problem with, with pro wrestling, like, I shouldn't say the problem, but how it's changed is, you know, you always had that kind of, I mean, like you said, finishing moves mattered. There weren't crazy spots all the time. And as you were talking, a moment that jumped out for me, and I remember coming home from school, and I was older at the time, and I, I was older and I was kind of at that place where 
I knew wrestling was did, but I still like was like I wondered if sometimes you know real stuff happens. And I remember when Colonel De Beers was the AWA, and Colonel De Beers came out and pushed Jimmy Snuka off the top rope, and he landed outside the ring. And of course, like you know, I mean, we'll talk Ric Flair, yeah. But as far as bleeders go, I know Ric Flair is probably top. Put Dusty in there, but Jimmy Snuka man was was a great bleeder. And you didn't have like guys weren't always falling off the ropes and and getting up and finishing matches. Like you said, Dave, like the DDP destroyed people. So if you took six, like you may not survive. You just might not survive. And that was what like what moves like how moves mattered when we grew up. And yeah, when he I remember when Snooker was pushed off that top rope and I was like I, I know most of the wrestling is fake, but I think that was real. I think I think Snooker's really hurt, and and obviously it was all a work. Um, but that that was like a moment where like you know the lines were kind of blurred for me. And I remember Snooker afterwards doing an interview with a, a he had a, the the neck collar on, and he didn't know if his career was over. And it was like, and I just kind of bought into it. But but nowadays, I mean. You know, but we'll fly off the top rope through an announce table and get up and continue a match. Back then, Snooker falling off the, the top rope, landing on concrete, what was enough to possibly end his career. So it's amazing when you look at how times have changed and how that, that influences uh, how you look at moments and, and, and how you judge heels over the course of history. Do you have a moment, Rock, that jumps out at you as far as, you know, your your fandom that, Wow, that guy's an asshole. Oh yeah, most definitely. You know, I, I'm I'm gonna admit something right now that I, I'm willing to bet my bottom dollar that most people won't know about me. I was a big GI Joe fan as a kid, surprisingly enough. And <laughs> leading into that that moment, I'll never forget. It was Mean Gene doing the interview. That moment when Sergeant Slaughter turned on America and endorsed Saddam Hussein. Like, obviously, I'm a military man. I come from a military family. And, you know, at that point, for me, there were some lines you just didn't cross. And when I saw that interview, I was like, holy smokes, I cannot believe. Like, as a kid, my heart was bre- like, my heart was breaking as I'm watching Sergeant Slaughter in his, you know, Slaughter-esque persona just railing against America, pledging for Saddam Hussein. I was like, holy shit, someone has got to stop this. I I was beside myself. I was absolutely beside myself. And it wasn't a spot, you know, you make great points about Snuka, definitely a great bleeder. It wasn't a spot that involved blood. It wasn't a spot in the ring. It was simply the declaration, one promo that brought me to to my you know, figurative knees, like, oh, my God, he betrayed us. What a bastard. Yeah, and that just, and, and it, that's awesome. And, and it's, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think, that, you know, now we're talking about heels and uh, we're talking about who makes the naughty list. Um, I think it's intriguing when you look at heels because they're the guys that you remember being a heel, uh, you know, growing up, like, watching wrestling. I just remember, like, Roddy Piper as a heel. Um What's interesting is when you look at the guys, the turns, the guys who have the, the, the pivotal heel turns, um, where you kind of get, you get that, that 
that white hot heat right off the bat because nobody expected it. And, and, and Rock, you bring up a good point. You know, a guy who is embodied patriotism in America, you know, the, the guy that was the, the flag, the flag waver and, and, you know, became this American hero. Um, you know, all of a sudden is siding with the enemy was definitely uh, an eye-opening turn. Um, and ironically enough, the American hero that had to come in and defeat the evil Sergeant Slaughter, years later, possibly the biggest heel turn in wrestling history, Hulk Hogan, when he becomes leader of the NWL and becomes Hollywood Hogan. Um, but that's one of the things also that I, I, you know, and I get it with creativity and writing, but, I, like, nowadays, I feel like when, when someone turns heel, um, there's an evolution, and they kind of just gradually move into that heel persona. I, I know we had, like, a, a definitive turn with Seth Rollins, which was pretty cool, um, where there's that moment. My favorite growing up, um, I, I'm a big fan. I think Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful, is one of the most underrated uh, wrestlers in the history of wrestling. Um, you know, when all-time greats come up, uh, I feel like his name doesn't come up enough. Uh, but when he he turned face after WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania, and allied with Hogan, when he turned on Hogan, that was one of my all-time favorite turns. Um, I, I just love Paul Orndorff. And I think Paul Orndorff is very underrated because he was a solid face and he was a solid heel, carved out of granite. Um, just really like the work that he put in. But that was one of my favorite turns. You know, Rock, again, you bring up a good point. Sergeant Slaughter's turn. Hogan's got to be up there. Uh, Dave, do you have a turn that jumps out at you as kind of a, a face-turning heel that, um, you know, there's the obvious like the Hogan, but is there anyone that jumps out at you? Um, a couple. Uh, the, the, the Mega Powers when Saps turned on Hogan. Uh, that was pretty big for me because to this day, Hogan and Savage are like my number one and my number two of all time. Um, favorites of mine. The Shawn Michaels turn when Marty Jannetty, when he put him through the barbershop window. I mean, um, oh, Brutus, Beefcake has, Brutus Beefcake has been irrelevant for many years, but when they talk about Brutus the Barber Beefcake, it's usually when they mention Shawn Michaels turning on Marty Jannetty and throwing him through the barbershop window. Um that comes to mind, especially just the brutality of it, because you didn't see anything like that in 1992 at the time. I mean, you know, you saw violence in wrestling, but I mean, nothing like throwing through a guy through a, 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 a glass window. And I mean, just like, I remember as a kid, I was like, oh my God, like the, the glass going to get in Marty's eye and he's going to go blind. And oh my God, like I was just like, I was so, and the Rockers were one of my favorite teams. So that was another thing. I was emotionally invested into them as characters. And when those characters split up for me, I felt like I was losing like a relative or like I was in the middle of a family squabble. Like as, as young as I was, that's how I felt because I was so invested into those characters. Even though at that age, I think that was right around the time where I started to realize that wrestling was scripted. And I was kind of like you can where, uh, you know, scripted, but there is some sort of uh, realism to it at times. Um, yeah. Those two would probably be like my top right there. Um, you know what? One heel turn that kind of that that kind of surprised me. I don't know if you guys remember this one. One heel turn that really surprised me that I thought was so awful that these guys would never be cheered again was when the Road Warriors turned on Dusty Rhodes in the NWA and they tried to stab him in the eye with one of their spikes from the shoulder pads. 
I thought that was just so heinous and so evil. Like, they tried to kill Dusty in the middle of the ring on live TV. And then, like, six months later, like, the people were still cheering for him. And Dusty ended up teaming up with him against the Horsemen again. Like, I was just kind of surprised that even at that age, I was like, those, nobody's going to like those guys now. They just tried to kill Dusty Rhodes. And next six months later, it's like nobody really gave a damn that Dusty Rhodes got stabbed in the eye. So, those are three that come to mind. Like you said earlier, the Hogan turn obviously is a big one. Um, but those three are like big ones that come to mind for me. And it's, when you, when you, you, you hit on, and I, and I, you know, it's funny cause like there's so many, but like when you talk about uh, the barbershop and that is, that's the biggest thing, man. Like the, the biggest thing that happened was uh, Shawn Michaels um, turning on Marty Jannetty. And, and it's interesting because for me, Shawn Michaels, um, I, I kind of could get behind Shawn Michaels as a heel. I always kind of found character-wise, found him uninteresting as a face. Um, I just thought the cocky HBK, uh, just, he did that very well. But um, as we get into, you know, obviously Shawn Michaels was a guy that elevated to, to the top of, of the industry. Um, arguably, you know, if not the greatest in-ring competitor, one of the greatest in-ring uh very athletically gifted, very long career, WWE Hall of Famer. But as we talk about heels and as we talk about um, the purpose of heels and, and what they do for certain competitors, with all the talent that Shawn Michaels had, and I'm going to throw this to you first, Dave, how important was Sensational Sherry in elevating Shawn Michaels to a stature where he was able to flourish and eventually have a Hall of Fame career? Oh, she was extremely important because she had come prior, uh, prior to Shawn Michaels, she had managed the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, and she had managed the Macho King. She was Queen Sherry, and she had some big names that, you know, on her resume. So guiding the career on television as a character, guiding the career of Shawn Michaels in his first run as a singles competitor was definitely crucial, and I'll, I'll go on record as saying if they just sent Shawn Michaels out there cold turkey, just him, without, without a, a, a valet or even a manager for that matter, I don't think he would have been as successful right coming out of the gate. I think he would eventually have gotten to, to be successful and, and attain the level of success that he's had in his career, but I don't think it would have happened as quickly as it did without the help of Sherry. I think it definitely helped from a heel persona to have someone like her because she was not liked, you know, like she was scary Sherry. I hated her. I wanted, you know, I, at a young age, I accepted the fact that, you know, it was okay to punch scary Sherry in the face, even if you were a dude, you know, and maybe that's, maybe that's something that tells, tells you, tells you about me as a human being now, but you know, in all seriousness, like I accepted the fact that Hogan could punch her in the face, and he, and there was nothing wrong with that. Even though 20 minutes ago I just told you that it was awful that Jake the Snake slapped Miss Elizabeth, but nonetheless, like she was just she was such a great part of that package early on, and you know she had a good look to her. She was an attractive woman, even though she was scary Sherry. I really feel like that it helped enhance the cocky heel in him because he's got the he's got the scary hot chick with him. You know, he's got the he's got the the, the good looking girl with him and, and, and a lot of guys would be jealous of that. So that definitely helped his run early on as a singles competitor for sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, he obviously he had the physical gifts. I mean, he, he was a guy that approved, improved as he went along. Um, you know, but who knows, like who knows 
you know, what happens in the grand scheme of the history of wrestling. You know, there are guys that are future endeavored. There are guys that have been given up on. You know, does Shawn Michaels really not, you know, catch on with that heel persona right off the bat? Is he a guy that winds up, like, not making it? I agree. I think, you know, when you look at his career, um, you know, obviously his rivalry with Brett, um, you know, and, and every wrestler that's had, like, a Hall of Fame career, um, there's a number of people you can look back on and say, well, this guy put him over and this person did that. It's never one guy that gets himself to the pinnacle. Obviously, he's important. His talent is important. But there's always other people that, that help him along. And I agree. I, you know, I, I think Sensational Sherry, just what she did and what she brought to him, um, and especially coming out of, you know, being with the Rockers and those, those two, like, prancing down in the rings, just these, you know, very benign baby faces that allying with Sensational Sherry validated him immediately, made him hated immediately. He got heat immediately. And she was just phenomenal. I mean, and you, you said it, man. I mean, did Macho Man need a manager like Sherry? No, he's a Macho Man. Did it, like, throw that character through the roof and just, like, blew it up exponentially? Absolutely. I mean, some of my favorite promos are watching Sherry, Macho Man, and Zeus promos together, and, and Sherry was just a heat magnet. Rock, what are your thoughts on Sensational Sherry? How great was she? Oh, no, she was absolutely great. You know, what more can you ask for? Uh, a manager with that heat, uh, singing, your, singing your theme song, just screaming her head off, coming down to the ring. And, you know, I perfectly on board with Dave. You know, I hated, hated Sherry. Who didn't want, who didn't want to see Sherry get her comeuppance? Uh, and, and you know what? I think it speaks to a greater point of the, of the role of the heel manager bringing some heat to their people because, you know, as you said, Ken, it would not have been – would Shawn Michaels be – as great as Shawn Michaels was without uh, Scary Sherry right there. I agree with Dave. It would have taken time because obviously his, his in-ring work is, is impeccable and, you know, he grips people. But without that heat magnet right there, I'll point you to, I'll point you to another case where you had a heel manager, you know, work into a turn that just worked the turn into a frenzy and that one is going to be Bobby the Brain Heenan when Andre the Giant turned. Like, Andre the Giant, obviously, you know, a huge name, both literally and figuratively. But would, would that turn, would that turn against Hogan been what it would have been if Andre wasn't joining the Heenan family and had him in his corner? I, you know, I venture to say, no, it wouldn't have been as big. It wouldn't have been as important. It wouldn't have hit the heart. As much as it did, watching, you know, Little Weasel right behind that freaking mountain of a man telling Hogan, you know, you're done. It absolutely, you know, you, you cannot take away the role of the heel manager sometimes being in that role to help turn the, you know, the baby face and just make him immediately thoroughly hated. And you bring up a good point, and that's where these guys were, like, so good. And, and let's face it, I mean, Bobby Heenan, for the better part of a decade, cold in the stocking. No question about it. Stan is either skipping the Heenan household or he's getting cold. 
Um, and, and to your point, Rock, you know, that that was just, you know, when, when Heenan came out with Andre and Hogan said, why are you with him, man? It, it was just kind of, and, and like, as a fan, you felt it. You felt like, oh, my God, he's out there with Heenan. Without it being, you know, and again, I love the turn. We talk about Shawn Michaels, the heel turn, where, you know, Marty Jannetty threw a glass window. Heinous. We look at the, the, the uh, Mr. Wonderful turn. You know, clotheslines Hogan. Invites Stud and Bundy to finish Hogan off. You know, like these, these, these grandiose gestures of, of turning heel. But, like, Heenan was so good. All Andre had to do was walk out with Heenan. And it was like the air got – and Hogan played it brilliantly. The air got sucked out of the room. And that's what made – and, unfortunately, we lost Heenan uh, this year. But we talk about heel managers. We talk about, uh, you know, those non-wrestling personalities – uh, that were able to just bring heat to a character, you know. I, I mean, honestly, Dave, you look at Bobby the Brain Heenan, um, second to none. Bobby Heenan's in a class by himself, and I'll, I'll go on record as saying I've watched a lot of old Bobby Heenan, especially after he passed. I watched a lot of the stuff on the network, um, you know, the collections and things like that. And going back and watching that, if Bobby Heenan never became a manager. I'll go on record as saying he would have been the greatest heel of all time, better than Roddy Piper, better than Rick, better than anybody. He would have been the greatest bad guy in the history of the business if he if if he just stayed wrestling and didn't become a manager. He could talk, he could work in the ring, he bumped like a oh my god! Like I was watching some of the stuff that he did with um with Nick Bockwinkel when they had the handicap matches against Hogan uh it, it went before Hogan left the AWA. Oh my lord! Like I'm telling you right now, the place came unglued when he'd get in that ring and Hogan get his hands on him. The place came unglued. Uh, I'll, I'll say this to the day I die. Bobby Heenan, obviously the greatest manager of all time, the greatest color commentator of all time. But if he didn't manage, he would have been the greatest bad guy in the history of the business. And that's some high praise. And it wouldn't shock me either if he could, he could, I mean, the guy, just the guy that got the business who understood what he was doing. Um, outside the ring, inside the ring, uh, you know, taking bumps, how to take bumps. I mean, the one thing I always admired about Bobby Heenan's bumps is he oh, it, it looked it looked so awkward, and I knew he knew what he's doing. It's just not an insult; like he was doing it. It looked so awkward that it looked real. The way he would flounder around, the way he would just throw his body and allow his body to be thrown into things. And he didn't take these pristine bumps where you would see him just, you know, back flat, hit, absorb the, the, the impact, you know, as we're all taught when we take bumps, that he would take these ridiculous bumps that it was like, how did he not break his neck doing that? Um, flopping around. I mean, he was just brilliant. And you're right. Every time, I mean, there was that in the AWA, but it seemed like any time any wrestler wound up getting their hands on Heenan the place would blow up. And um, he was a guy that, like, if you needed to get heat, uh, get Heenan. And, and Dave, you know, you said, and I agree, I think Heenan's tops. One guy that it's interesting that I feel like in, in recent years, when we look at managers and we look at heels, uh, heel managers, um, Paul Heyman's name comes up. 
And I think a lot of new school wrestling fans uh, like to look at Paul Heyman as perhaps the greatest manager of all time. I respectfully disagree with that. Rocky, what are your thoughts on on Paul Heyman, uh, his career as a heel, as a mouthpiece, his place in history? Well, yeah, I'm... I'm an avowed Paul Heyman fan. Uh, I was a big ECW fan back in the day. I remember his days as Paulie dangerously with the freaking brick of a cell phone and, and whatnot. Uh, I appreciate Paul a lot more as a mouthpiece than I do as, you know, some sort of factor on the side of the ring. Because, you know, to say that the man can generate heat on the mic is an understatement. The, the man is absolute gold on the microphone. You know, and, and back in the day, especially within ECW, he had his turns and he, and he had his, uh, you know, his rivalries. Uh, but as far as, you know, the best there is, you know, especially when we just got done talking about Bobby Heenan, I'm willing to bet my bottom dollar that Mr. Heyman himself, if he was asked a question, he would be, he would look at you like you had three heads, like, you nuts? I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere in Heenan's league. You know, it's, high praise is deserved by Heenan at, at every turn, but taking nothing away from Paul Heyman, because as I said, the man on the the man is gold on the mic and can most assuredly get some heat for whoever he's trying to get heat for, uh, uh, you, you know, working that microphone. I think you bring a real, really good point. Uh, and, and as you're talking to me, it's like that's kind of what separates uh, Heenan from Heyman is, is how great Heenan could bump, how great Heenan could interfere, and how great Heenan can talk. And, and taking nothing away from Heyman, and, and he deserves his spot in, in, in the, the pantheon of greatest heels ever, and he's up there uh, as far as greatest managers ever. Um, however, when, when I look at Heyman's game, I, I think you're right. A guy that, you know, could, I, I mean, the guy can talk on the mic, um, but that's, that's pretty much like where it ends uh, with Heyman. Gifted, one of the best ever to, on that stick. I mean, I love you know, most of the time, you know, Heyman starts talking. It's like, all right, everyone shut up. Let's, let's hear what he's got to say. Um, love watching that dude cut a promo. Um, but that to me is where that, – that's where Heyman's game begins and ends is his verbiage, whereas Heenan, how he could generate heat, what he could do um, was multifaceted, which is why I will never uh, – Heyman – and you're right. Heyman will never say that he's better than Heenan either. Um, deserves his spot, but as far as managers go, Heenan's still second to, to none. Dave, what are your thoughts on Paul Heyman? Paul Heyman, when he was Paulie Dangerously in the Dangerous Alliance, a great heel manager, very underrated. Um, I've been watching a lot of older WCW stuff lately, um, early 90s, when I listen to the, uh, the Tony Schiavone podcast, What Happened When Mondays. Uh, they do a lot of coverage, a lot of the older stuff, so I've been kind of that's kind of inspired me to watch some of that stuff on the network and Paul Heyman stuff was, was, was great stuff with like Rocky said, the brick of a cell phone. And you know, the, he was such a great mouthpiece, but you bring up a great point, Ken, it ends with his mouth. Like he's not in there running around, bumping around, taking bumps um, and doing other things to generate heat. He's, he's probably the greatest salesman in the history of the business. Um, Cause he could definitely sell you on a match. Um, even in today's wrestling where, 
Like, you'll obviously watch because you know it's a pay-per-view, but if it's Paul Heyman telling you on Brock Lesnar's match, you'll definitely watch just based on what Paul Heyman's telling you. Um, And I think, you know, people that say he's the greatest manager of all time, maybe even the greatest heel manager of all time, I don't think that status runs in today's wrestling. I really don't. I think because of the way people view wrestling and how we view heels in today's wrestling – Paul Heyman is one of those guys, along with a Kevin Owens, that he is super respected by the audience. I think he has a hard time getting the heat. The last time I saw Paul Heyman get real, true, bad guy heat was when Brock Lesnar broke the streak, the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak, and for months he drove that point home that he was the one in 21-1. and one. And that, that – that ignited the crowd to boo him because the undertaker in that streak was so respected. But after that, I feel like Paul Heyman's been a great salesman in WWE, a great mouthpiece for Brock adds a lot to that presentation because if it was just Brock throwing everybody around and yelling suplex city, I think that joke would have gotten old a long time ago. So Brock's done a great, excuse me, Paul's done a great job of being a, a, a nice addition to Brock Lesnar, but generating some kind of heel heel heat in today's wrestling, I, I think that falls on deaf ears because of the audience, and that's unfortunate because if the audience if the, if the audience and our favorites over at the internet wrestling community, I'll get to them in a minute, were to just watch wrestling and enjoy it and watch it like you watch a movie, you know, then maybe they would appreciate the the, the, the heel character that Paul Heyman has tried to portray in recent years. Yeah, it's, it's a shame, you know, when you look at it. I mean, I do miss the traditional heel, and I do miss that idea of, of booing the heels. and, and Because I like, like, for me, wrestling is entertainment, and, you know, the IWC, I mean, I feel like, you know, fans go with an agenda. Um, you know, I want to. Like, when I go see a movie, I want to, you know, I, I wanted to root for the Justice League, and then I wanted to root against Steppenwolf. Like, that's, you know... I mean, that's how I looked at wrestling. I, I want to, even knowing that it's scripted, I still want to go to a wrestling match, and I want to cheer for the heroes, and I want to boo the heels. Like, as right now, case in point, and we've gone on and on, and maybe we should talk about him a little bit, because what The Miz has done in, in recent memory, to me, no disrespect to Kevin Owens, he, to me, Miz is the best heel going right now. And he's been the best heel going for for a little while, um, and I love what the Miz is doing. Um, I still boo him when I see him live because that's what we should do. Like that, to me, I, I've always looked at being a wrestling fan and part of the crowd. In, in, in a way, you're 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 part of the show, um, but play your part. You're not there to be part of the show to take over the show. You're there. I always looked at kind of, and not to get real like esoteric or whatever, but I always looked at the wrestling crowd as uh, the, the the Greek chorus in traditional drama, where the chorus in traditional, uh, even traditional, going ancient drama, would would be to kind of tell the action. They would help facilitate what was going on. Stuff they couldn't portray live, the chorus would kind of inform you. And um, I always kind of looked at it as like you had your face, you had your heel. And the audience, our job was to boo the, the heel and cheer the face. We were going to facilitate that storyline. That was our role. Um, and I always kind of liked doing that. Um, nowadays, it's just kind of 
it, it's so different. It's so different how crowds respond to things. And, and being a heel, to me, like when, when wrestling fans like, oh, my God, I can't believe he lost again. If you're a heel, man, you can lose every match because you'll never admit to actually losing because you're a heel. Um, I, I think heel, it's just it's so different now. Um, but I do want to hit on Miz because Miz the guy um, that that throwback kind of heel. He's obnoxious. He's egotistical. He's a guy that somehow in this day and age, in, in an era where we've talked now and said that the traditional heel maybe doesn't work anymore, and he is making it work. He's making it work in the biggest company on the planet in wrestling, and he's making it work on a Monday Night Raw that has an absentee champion where he had to make, he had to elevate that IC title to kind of be the main belt on Monday Night Raw, the flagship show of the WWE, and he's done a phenomenal job. And look, I don't know, if I go through it, look, The Miz is not cracking my top five heels of all time. However, it is worth saying that he has been doing an amazing job as of late, and he is that throwback. So, Rock, I mean, we talked earlier, and, you know, maybe that traditional heel can't work anymore, but now Miz is the guy that's making it work, and he's been knocking it out of the park. Well, no, I think there's no question of that. I think, you know, Miz has done his part to uh, redefine uh, a traditional heel, what a traditional heel is. He pulls elements from, from yesteryear and incorporates them into his uh, present-day style. And let's all, you know, realize that it took Miz time to get here. He he certainly did not start at the level he's at now. And it took him a a couple of iterations. It took him work. You know, I I still remember back when uh, he was doing the whole, you know, stunt double with Damian Sandow, and I thought that was hilarious. But, you know... Even during that time, did you really think when when he had Damian Miz when he had Damian Mizdow, you know, aping his every move? Did you really think that he was going to evolve into the heel that he is today? You know, it was less, you know, the the angle was clever. You, you hoped it made something for Damian, which unfortunately it didn't. But you know, I can give all props to Miz for. Not only, you know, putting his known to the grindstone, putting in the work, but really exploring what it took and exploring different avenues until he finally found what worked and evolving into what The Miz is today. And, you know, there is no denying he is doing some of his best work. And if he keeps on going in this direction, let's face it, he's got some years to go. Uh, if he keeps on going in this direction, he can start. He can start possibly cracking that top. Possibly start cracking that top five. I say he has time to do it. We have, you know, time will tell where exactly, uh, you know, the Miz will end up. That's a good point. I mean, he does have time. Again, not cracking my top five now, but perhaps someday. Dave, your thoughts on Miz? The one constant with Miz throughout his entire career is that he's been hated. Whether it's been justified or not, he's been hated from the audience, okay, from, from, from the smart fans, from the casual fans. Everyone has hated him. 
he's been he he's he knows how to play the game. He was born to be in this business. As much as we didn't want that to be and we didn't believe that for many, many years, if you go back in hindsight and you look at the evolution of his character in the ten plus years he's been in the company he has definitely done a good job of getting people to hate him. He has thrived on people's hatred of him to help elevate himself and his character on television. And that, that there's a particular group of people that have been the antagonist, so to speak, to help Miz's character thrive, and that's the internet wrestling community. Another group of individuals who I feel should make this naughty list. A bunch of negative assholes who make it impossible <laughs> for people to enjoy watching wrestling. I hear, guys, that you've asked Santa this year to help you lose your virginity. Well, guess what, boys? You're still on the list. So that means that you're going to be on the naughty <laughs> list forever. And you're not going to lose your virginity. And you're going to live in your fucking parents' basement. Apparently they're not going to get naughty. <laughs> and here we go. Yeah, I think we probably so got, we all have to like go with like, you know, not like you know, not a, like strictly shooting. I think that the internet wrestling community might be like tops on our naughty list. And like Santa, if you're if you're listening, uh, yeah, drop drop some coal off on on uh, for those guys on Christmas morning. <laughs> and a bottle of lotion. Um, I'm curious, like you guys, you know, one thing we didn't hit on uh, when we're talking about heels and guys that are going to get coal in their stockings this year. Uh, I mean. Rocky kind of touched upon it with with Sergeant Slaughter, but who are the guys that jump? Well, you know, it's Star Rock. I mean, Rock, you know, legit military guy. He served this country, and we we thank you for your service. Um, but you know, there's some there have been some wrestling, and, and it might, people might look at it as like, well, it, it's an easy thing to do. Like you just say you hate America and then go with it. But um, some guys have done it better than others. Uh, so we look at like one of the the, the Bonafide ways to be a heel is just say that you hate America. Um, some guys did it great. Rock, who are some of the guys that jump out at you as really solid anti-American heels? Solid anti-American heels. Uh, well, you can look to our, our Earth's former champion, Jinder Mahal, uh, who definitely played, you know, his nationalistic tendencies for India it may be a little stressed to see he was anti-American. I think he was anti-anything not Indian. You know, especially with that with that promo against uh, oh God, his name escapes me. Help me out here, guys. Oh, is uh, Nakamura? Nakamura, for Christ's sake, I, I I can never remember his name. I, I all I can think it's of is been a long weekend. <laughs> But uh, there are a couple of people who, who take the, the, the anti-American angle. Uh, you could look at Kevin Owens. Uh, he sometimes touches upon that. I think right right now, uh, you know, come to think of it, it's it's kind of hard to think of one guy who just goes really so, solidly anti-American. Except that the one person that did jump out jump out in my head, and I'll stake my claim on this one, and that would be Rusev. Because Rusev Crush, and uh, it harkens me back to that to that uh, match he had with John Cena, and that was the last time I think we really saw a good, you know, foreign enemy versus you know American hero type of angle that to me worked. Uh, I really hope that the WWE creative find something for find something for Rusev. 
because, you know, he is too talented. He's too talented to just let sit by the wayside. Yeah, I mean, as we talk about, you know, heels and how heels are the guys that, like, can put the – you know, put the other guys over, and, and everyone, you know, all-time greats have someone that, that put them in that spot. When I think anti-American, I think Iron Sheik. And I think Iron Sheik, and I, I think Iron Sheik, who's beaten Bob Backlund, who's walking around with the WWF title, and then the American hero Hulk Hogan comes in and wins the WWF title for America. Um, you know, uh, amidst the... the um, you know, the Iran hostage crisis is going on around this time period, uh, and he pushed that anti-American button, and he pushed it hard. And when you look at Hulk Hogan, um, you know, was Hulk Hogan uh, destined for greatness? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, you know, look at him. Uh, was winning the WWF title from the Iron Sheik a great way to, to jump off his, his run and his uh, – catapult to stardom absolutely so when i think anti-american i think iron sheik how about you dave i i would have to go with iron sheik rocky mate you talked about it earlier sergeant slaughter i mean you know as, as evil as the iron sheik was and how much he hated america his character hated america um i mean how evil is it that a patriot the likes of sergeant slaughter turns his back and and aligns himself with one of the most evil terrorists in the history of our world, Saddam Hussein. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, as a kid, I was like, you know, like you, like you said, the, the declaration of him, you know, announcing that he has turned his back on his country was just such a heel tactic in and of itself. Um, you know, those two come to mind. One that gets very underrated, and I know you're a big fan of it, Ken, but when Bret Hart did the whole Canada versus U.S. angle, and how he was a, a, a beloved hero in Canada and other parts of the world, but in the United States, he was the most hated man in America. And the genius behind that, and how he, he was able to take an audience and legitimately split it geographically, which was unheard of at that time, um, and is probably a precursor to what we see now with, with uh, you know, the, the, the Roman Reigns, John Cena, love, hate that some of our some of the fans have for him. Um, Bret Hart was doing that 19, 20 years ago in 1997. So those are, the, those are three that come to mind. There is one group that I thought that really could, um, really could make an impact as far as foreign heels go, and uh, it was the Un-Americans in 2002. It was Lance Storm, Christian, Test, and William Regal, and it was like a year coming off of 9-11, which was one of the biggest tragedies in, in the history of our country, and those guys were really, you know, pushing the buttons and, 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 and pushing the envelope on controversy and their their characters' hatreds towards America. The, the angle didn't really get off as, as, as well as I thought it was going to, but I thought that they could have been really good foreign heels and really make a name for themselves as a group. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's, and it's funny, man, because it's like, you know, some guys did it well, some guys didn't. Yeah, Bret, that Bret Hart angle was just phenomenal, and, and I never understood why – that that Hart Foundation, that anti-American group, didn't doesn't get more love as far as uh, the history of the business. But you know, we've talked a lot, and we didn't get to, to everybody. If you wanted to talk about it, three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five is the number to call. Talk about it uh, on our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash Ken Reedy Show. So many other guys we get into. So many guys and girls. 
women that are getting coal in their stockings this holiday season for being on the naughty list. But what we're going to do right now is, I, you know, let's just wrap up kind of this, this heel conversation, this naughty list conversation. Uh, most naughty of all time. And I look at all these guys and guys we didn't really get to explore, guys like Flair, Ric Flair. Shame on us for not really exploring what Ric Flair did. Great heel. Horseman, great heels. We hit on Heenan, hit on Mr. Wonderful, Iron Sheik. Uh, guys like Edge, who we didn't get, Jericho, Rick Rude. Um, one of my favorite. we talked about the turn. Uh, Hulk Hogan is Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Um, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, if not the most important heel turn in history. Uh, to me, that's, that's what makes him the greatest ever. But that all being said, the greatest heel of all time the guy who forever should have been getting coal in his stocking. Rest in peace, Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper for me. Um, For me, he's the best heel of all time. He's the best talker of all time. A guy that could get heat. Um, A guy who knew how to cut a promo. Um, A guy who in the ring wrestled a style that he, he pissed you off on the microphone. He pissed you off in the ring. He pissed you off walking down to the ring. This guy, and you know, had just this attitude, this persona that just embodied what a wrestling heel is all about. And when when I think greatest heel ever, I to me, I, I can't. I, it's it's Roddy Piper for me. Uh, you guys, I'll go to you, Dave. Your thoughts? Who's the greatest heel ever? Man, you. you... It's hard to argue Roddy Piper after you after you just explained, you know, the reasonings behind that. And that's one of those guys. I can't really pinpoint one, but I could probably name a couple. Um, Bobby Heenan probably would be up there. I mean, um, you know, for all the guys that he tried to, to, to get to end Hulkamania for so many years, um, I mean, you, you can't really, you know, you can't really find anything likable about him um, as a character. Um, at least, you know, viewing it years ago when we thought it was real. Um, but if you were to if you were to say there's one person that truly embodies, like, just evil, I think the greatest heel of all time would have to be Vince McMahon. He's a billionaire. He's got a lot of money. He uses that money for his resources to help whatever to, – to, to cover whatever agenda he needs covered. I mean, he's – He's easily hateable just because of his financial status alone. A lot of people that don't make a lot of money, they hate rich people because they have a lot of money. And you could say this, you could make that same argument for the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. He bought the WWF championship from Andre the Giant and then created his own belt because he was too good to be the WWF champion. So he was the million dollar champion. I mean, he bought his way through his, through his character's career over the years. So, I mean, there's so many you could name and, 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 and have so many reasons behind why they're the best. And, but, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, even, even now, even in recent times, like Vince comes out on TV, like, all right, recently he, was, he, he portrayed the baby face uh, against Kevin Owens. But a year prior, um, he was able to take Roman Reigns, who was hated by the audience, and for a short period of time, for, let's say, a couple of weeks, that audience was 100% behind Vince. Vince is the ultimate bad guy, in my opinion. 
And and that's what, you know it's funny because like to me when, when you rank stuff and and you know I always I always joke and I say like I I put there are certain guys that are like in the I ain't mad at you category and uh, you know you, you, and that's stick is like you know and, and IWC just let this be a lesson to you sometimes you could have different opinions and respect each other it happens and so I'm I'm right there with you Vince McMahon is incredible um, I'm still going with Roddy Piper but. Saying Vince McMahon is the greatest heel ever, Mr. McMahon, the Mr. McMahon character, absolutely. I mean, Magnet, again, a guy you want to elevate Stone Cold to one of. People think Stone Cold's the greatest ever. Stone Cold is not Stone Cold without the, the heel work that Vince McMahon did. So um, he is a guy who needs to be up there as well. Rock, who's the greatest heel of all time, in your opinion? Wow. Well, you know, as Dave said before, not, now listening to both your arguments, you know, as you said, I can't be mad at you. Absolutely, for Roddy Piper or Vince McMahon. I think both excellent choices uh, and can arguably be on top of that mountain. I guess the name I'm going to throw in there just to be, just to be a little different, but maybe not so much different, but for this person to actually steal the boss's do- unconscious daughter and marry her in a drive-thru in Vegas, I'm going to give the nod to Triple H. Uh, you know, during Triple H's run, he has done some heinous stuff in his time. And that is one of the things that always sticks in my head. I am going to take your unconscious daughter, marry her, and a drive-through, and then when I come back, when I come back, that's right. I'm gonna make your daughter turn on you. So I'm going to give my nod to Triple H, just being, you know, in all aspects, one smarmy heel. And that, that was that's a great a good choice, man. Cause I, for, for years, I thought Triple H had like such a grasp of like that heel psychology. Um, you know, again, like we're just like. And we respect all these heels. We're just going to rip on the IWC for the rest of the show. But, like, you know, Triple H, you know, I don't think gets, uh, you know, he gets unduly criticized a lot for, uh, you know, marrying the boss's daughter. And and there's a lot of things we can get into that, you know, are head scratches with Triple H. And, and, you know, there are times that maybe you can make the case for him burying guys. Uh, However, that doesn't change the fact of how talented he is and how talented he was and how – how great he had to be to pick himself up by his bootstraps after the curtain call and, and still have an all-time great career. And he, uh, he's a guy up there, yeah, as well. It's got to be considered as one of the top heels. Uh, the Cerebral Assassin. 347-838-9815 is the number to call. Those are the guys that are making our naughty list. Call in the stocking for those guys. Who makes the nice list? Who's Santa giving extra presents to this this holiday season we're getting into the nice list after our break but right now it's time for the day five fifty fifty news report thank you very much ken good evening and welcome to another edition of the most comprehensive news segment in the pro wrestling podcast game today a very special while we were away edition of the day five fifty fifty news report only heard at the top of the hour right here at the ken reedy show the best in pro wrestling talk. Now, before I get into our top stories, don't forget to Flares Radio on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Are we even on Snapchat? If not, then you better make it happen. But wherever you can find us, like us, or follow us to be a part of the best 
Pro Wrestling Podcast Network and the business today. More importantly, B-Plus Players Radio is where you can find this show each and every week. Catch the replay of our live Sunday shows dropping as early as Sunday evening, possibly early Monday morning. And if it's not available, then send your thoughts and concerns in a timely manner and politely, might I add, to the man who's got a set large enough to braid his own man bun, the proprietor of modesty, Mr. Mark Adam Haggerty himself, who also hosts his very own show on the flag, the flagship podcast of B+, The Outsider's Edge. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to B-Plus Players Radio right now and see what I'm talking about. The pro wrestling podcast game, it treated us kindly in 2017. And we would like for you to reap the benefits in 2018 with us at B-Plus Players Radio. And now that I got all of that out of the way, it's time for this week's top stories. The huge news to kick things off this week is the events that occurred while on hiatus, and that being the proverbial white flag raising ceremony in store for Anthem Media and Impact Wrestling when it comes to the broken intellectual property they've disputed over with the Hardy family in recent months. According to several reports, the Hardys are now allowed to use the trademark and mannerisms of the character due to their findings of financial and contractual digressions in their Impact Wrestling contracts that Anthem was at fault for. The change in attitude to the company's way of saving face without fighting a losing battle in court, further ruining their reputation moving forward in the rebuilding process. Ed Nordholm, CEO of Anthem Media and Impact Wrestling, in a statement released recently said, and I quote, We have seen the character development and will be interested to see where they take the concept. Our new talent agreements all incorporate language that will allow talent to continue to use their impact persona after they leave the company. We are working with our legal team to amend our existing agreements to extend this to all of our current and former talent. It will be interesting to see if Anthem's statement holds true as Eddie Edwards, Bobby Lashley, and EC3's contracts are nearing its end. And with the company restructuring contracts, With low money guarantees, the chances of the three sticking around are slim at best. On a side note, following this report, it appears WWE will begin developing a similar character for the Hardys, but not label it under the Broken moniker, but rather the Woken moniker, as evident from Hardy's character's actions these last few weeks on Raw, as well as his social media activity. According to Sports Illustrated, WWE Chairman Vince McMahon is such a believer in the gimmick that he's allowing hardy creative licensing of the character, which is something McMahon doesn't normally do with talents. McMahon feels that the already established character could be a big success in WWE, which is why he's such a proponent for allowing the gimmick to surface on his television, another act that is unlike McMahon's behavior in the past when it comes to characters created outside of WWE that have attained a certain level of success. Nonetheless, the Woken era has begun, and there doesn't seem to be signs of the gimmick becoming deleted anytime soon. Another major story in the world of professional wrestling while we were away is one that could be a potential game changer, and that is of the self-financed pro wrestling event that is slated to take place in 2018, run by none other than Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks. The trio have been hitting the pavement when they haven't been taking bumps, searching for a 10,000-seat arena that will host this mega event aptly named All In. Places such as Ontario, California, Chicago, Illinois, London, England, and San Francisco, California are frontrunners to host this event. Rhodes appeared on SiriusXM's Busted Open recently, further discussing the hot-button topic, and revealed that his dream main event for the show would put himself defending the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship against 
Daniel Bryan from WWE. Rhodes knows there's something in the way of that, and that is the contractual status of Daniel Bryan. But regardless, if Bryan cannot participate, Cody is guaranteed this event will sell out. When describing the planning of this event to Busted Open co-host Bully Ray, Rhodes says that he wants to leave the wrestling business in a better place than he found it when breaking in. Rhodes did reveal earlier this week that a date and a venue will be announced in the next two weeks. Speaking of Daniel Bryan, my third story this week, his wife Brie Bella spoke in an interview recently and stated that her husband Daniel Bryan is still working diligently in hopes of getting clearance for an in-ring return. She revealed that since WWE told Bryan he couldn't wrestle anymore, he's been flying himself all around the country to meet with different doctors to get clearance to return. One doctor in particular began hyperbaric chamber treatments, which I reported on a few months prior right here on the day five. And according to Bree, every doctor that has met with Brian and has treated him has told him he's clear to wrestle and that his brain activity is one of someone who's never wrestled before. This information, according to Bella, has resulted in WWE medical staff considering the thought of meeting with the doctors who cleared Brian to see if entertaining the idea of a Daniel Bryan comeback is something that could be ideal not only for Brian but for WWE. With this rumor comes another rumor from SportsKita.com that Brian may be involved in a high-profile storyline heading into WrestleMania next year, which could potentially culminate at that event. The storyline in question would put Triple H and Stephanie McMahon opposing Shane McMahon and Kurt Angle, with both sides involved in some sort of power struggle that involves Daniel Bryan. WrestlingNewsSource.com broke news on the 4th of December that Daniel Bryan has been cleared by WWE Medical, and his first match would be at WrestleMania against Shane McMahon. However, the Wrestling Observer and Dave Meltzer have debunked those rumors, claiming WWE Medical has not cleared Bryan to wrestle. But if he were to get clearance, there's been discussions of returning at SummerSlam next year while working a limited schedule following that. Regardless of what you decide to believe, details on Daniel Bryan's in-ring future aren't clear at this time, but we will have more as the story develops. Impact Wrestling recently appointed Scott Demore and Don Callis as executive vice presidents of the organization. The two, along with Ed Nordholm, Anthem CEO, will be a part of an executive committee creating television content for Impact Wrestling, along with handling the day-to-day business side of things for the company. Sanjay Dutt, Abyss, Gail Kim, Jeremy Borash, and Jimmy Jacobs will all report to the executive committee with any creative ideas for the show. But... Their primary role will be to help produce matches with talent. Callis, who is currently the English color commentator for New Japan Pro Wrestling, will retain his role with the promotion moving forward, despite his newest endeavor with Impact Wrestling. In regards to New Japan Pro Wrestling, Impact has made overtures to them in hopes of a working agreement. However, New Japan is currently not interested. Other front office changes have been made following this move, as Dutch Mantel and John Gaborik will be leaving the company. Gaborik was brought in as an insurance policy in the event Jeff Jarrett didn't work out, and once Jarrett was let go, Mantel lost all power he once had behind the scenes. Gaborik allegedly had been preparing for life after Impact Wrestling with new projects he's been developing as of late. In regards to Bruce Pritchard, well, you know, it's being reported that he would not be returning to the company as he was considered part of the Jarrett regime, along with the rumor that he's never really gotten along with Don Callis, who is now considered in the top three from a management position with Impact. Now that the company is a Canadian-based organization, they are looking to run more TV tapings and live events in the Great White North. 
Instead of filming 10 episodes of Impact over the course of a few days, the company is looking to scale down their TV taping schedule, taping four to five episodes in an undetermined short period of time, while sprinkling in non-televised events in between those tapings, if it can be cost-effective. The company has already scheduled TV tapings for January in Orlando at Universal Studios. That should take them into the springtime. But following that, expect them to tape TV somewhere in the Windsor, Ontario, Canada area in March. And in my final story this week, longtime music composer Jim Johnston has been released from WWE. The, first, the news first broke on social media with ProWrestlingSheet.com confirming the story a few days later. The site notes that through their sources, they weren't given a reason for his release, but it's being led to believe that this wasn't a mutual parting of the ways, as Johnson's contract was soon to expire and the company opted not to renew his deal. Johnson is famous for creating some of the most iconic entrance themes in WWE for names such as Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Ultimate Warrior, The Rock, The Undertaker, D-Generation X, Vince McMahon, and so many others, just to name a few. The site notes that the writing was on the wall when WWE began to collaborate with the duo CFOs the last few years for the majority of their entrance music. WWE is allegedly looking into redoing many talents theme music that was once created by Jim Johnston. Wrestling fans, the holiday season is in full swing, and if you're worried that your love life might do the J-O-B this Christmas, then don't you worry, because I got the answer for you that will help you kick out at two. Shop Door Decor. Your one-stop shop for custom home decor. Need a special gift with class and taste that may impress that special someone for the holidays? Well, look no further than Door Decor. Custom wreaths and signs that will spruce up your special someone's living quarters could be the answer to your troubles. Maybe the apple of your eye is an avid wrestling fan. Maybe he or she just wants a nice traditional yet custom holiday wreath. There's no need to fret or fear. Nicole can help navigate your gift to the one whose heart you desire. Head on over to Facebook at Door Decor and reach out to Nicole so she can help make all of your wishes come true this holiday season. What are you waiting for? Hit the like button on Facebook right now to see what I'm talking about. And there you have it, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the Dave 5 50 News Report this week. As This will be the last Dave 5 Report for 2017. I'll be on location in Boston for next week's WWE Clash of Champions event, giving you the lay of the land from Beantown before the last WWE pay-per-view of 2017. Hoping you all have a safe and happy holiday. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Happy New Year. See you on the other side in 2018. And without further ado, let's continue our coverage of the Ken Reedy Show Pro Wrestling Naughty or Nice List holiday special as we send it back to the boys, Ken and Rocky. Take it away. I just wanted to, not wrestling related, but some breaking news coming out of the sports world that apparently quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, Carson Wentz, has a torn ACL and his season is over. Crazy news coming out of the NFL right now. MVP candidate. uh, Looked like the Eagles were on their way. um, At least doing some damage in the playoffs. Uh, it's a shame for a guy like him, a young kid in his second year, uh, really setting the league on fire. Um, but it appears as if right now, at least for 2017, his season is done. In other wow. news, they've just started to engrave the Lombardi Trophy with New England Patriots. So that is also occurring <laughs> right now. And let's get back to the wrestling talk. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. All you Patriot haters out there, it's just 
it's inevitable. They're going to win the Super Bowl again this year. Three four seven eight three eight. Maybe they should be the biggest heels in uh, in the history of the world. Um, three four seven eight three eight ninety one five is the number to call. We gave you the guys on our naughty list. So many great heels over the course of wrestling history. Guys that Santa is just not going to be bringing gifts. Going to be dumping some coal on them. But if we're going to go naughty, we got to go nice. And let's look back. You know, it's funny, man. And, and, and a lot of, like, the theme of today, and this has been a fun show for me because we really didn't uh, we didn't organize much of this show. We really didn't come up with, like, a definitive outline. It was like, let's just go with it. And, and I like the fact that one of the themes uh, in today's show is just how the business has changed and how different things are. And you look at, you know, a guy like Hulk Hogan in the 80s who was a tremendous baby face. And then you look at a guy like John Cena and what he does. And Hey, look, we got a guy who's, like, kid-friendly, comes down to the ring, doesn't cheat, believes in hustle, loyalty, and respect behind the scenes, sets records for granting wishes for dying children. But, God damn it, his dropkick is wonky, so I'm going to boo the hell out of him. And that's where we've gone as as a business. That's where the IWC wants to be. God damn it, we hate John Cena because because he's good and stuff, and we don't like it when he's good. So we're gonna boo him. Um, and and John Cena, to his credit, just handles like everything like a champ. But Cena's a guy that you think in the '80s probably 100% would be cheered through the roof. It's a different era. Um, you know, he's definitely got to be up there as, as top faces ever, definitely on the nice list. Rock, when you think of, like, faces in the history of wrestling, when you think of the evolution of the business, what are your thoughts, man, as, as an overview, and then we'll start getting into specific guys. Well, no, as an overview, you bring up a great point, Ken. You know, someone like John Cena, for Christ's sake, the man has an unparalleled work rate. He has an awesome look. The man behaves himself inside and outside the ring, and the IWC just craps all over it. And they wonder why they end up on the freaking naughty list, for Christ's freaking sake. <laughs> and, you know, obviously for the nice list, John Cena is definitely a go-to name, uh, you know, just due to everything that I pointed out already. Uh, one, uh, another name that I'm going to point out on the nice list in my view, who is changing the face of wrestling somewhat, but obviously by this name, you're going to guess it when I say changing the name of women's wrestling, I'm going to put Charlotte on the nice list. Because, you know, Charlotte is really, you know, her along with a couple of, uh, of her compatriots are re- have really changed the face of women's wrestling in recent years, but... By leaps and bounds, Charlotte has definitely been put in the work. Her her in-ring work is poetry in motion, and she has really created some feel-good moments, as we've talked about the feel-good moment when when just winning the WWE Women's Championship from Natty and then going up the ramp, and then you hear the music, and you see Rick on the ramp, and you see... Daughter and father embrace just a great feel-good moment. I'm willing to bet my bottom dollar that Santa has 
more than a couple of boxes in his bag for Miss Charlotte Flair. Yeah, I think you got to give Ric Flair like uh, a little bit of credit there for maybe the one of the greatest faces of all time because uh, he just went toe to toe with death and won. So, you know, when you think of 2017, you think about babyface. I mean, what Ric Flair has done, and man, I got to tell you though, man, like that shit with like you know Flair coming out and the music hits, like they shouldn't be crying when I'm watching wrestling, man. <laughs> like it definitely. Tugged at the old heartstrings when when Flair came out and embraced his daughter, but uh, yeah, I mean Natty's up there. Um, your thoughts, Dave, on on faces, how the business has changed? Uh, no, whatever you want to talk about when it comes to baby faces. I think what embodies a baby face are three things. One, they're universally loved by everyone, men, women, and children. The kids look up to them. The men want to be them, and the women want to be with that person. And I think that's what embodies a good baby face. Whether you are the, the, um, the, the white meat baby face like Hulk Hogan and John Cena, or whether you're the badass like Steve Austin, you know, if you are universally loved regardless of what your, your stance is in the ring, you, then, then that makes you a, a great baby face in my opinion. Um, I think one person who doesn't get enough love as a baby face, or actually two people, I should say. One, Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund looked like the guy that lived next door to you that just worked hard, and he, 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 he very blue-collar, had a blue-collar thing about him, and, you know, just worked hard. He may not have won all the time, but if he did win, he was, you know, he, he earned it. And, this, and the same could be said for this other guy, Tito Santana. Tito Santana, for Christ's sake, needs to be on the, on the nice list because that guy had been through, you know, he was robbed of the Intercontinental title by Danny Davis, and he still kept chugging along. And then he tagged with Rick Martel and formed Strike Force. They became tag team champions, and Rick decided he wanted to go take a career in modeling and told Tito, Ariba, you're out of here, buddy. And then Tito would just kind of flounder throughout the course of his career, but Tito was a guy that his character worked hard. He came up on the short end of the stick. He didn't bitch and complain, but he did what was right and did what was good. And I feel like he's one of the very underrated baby faces, loved by many, loved, loved by a lot of people, but didn't get enough love, in my opinion. And I think putting him on the nice list is something that, he, that, that could be a, a benchmark in Tito Santana's career. I, I agree. I think Tito, like, you know, definitely. And that's a great name. That's a great, you know, and I think of Tito, and it's, it's interesting because so many of these guys, when you look at, you know, wrestlers who makes the nice list, um, like most of them have at least moments in their career where they were heels. You know, I mean, we'll talk about Hulk Hogan and was there a more popular babyface uh, ever? You know, maybe not. However, he had quite a run as Hollywood Hogan. He had a run before uh, being Hulk Hogan in WWF when he was a heel. So, I mean, he's a guy that, like, still has moments of being hated, whereas Tito is, is that guy that you look back on that uh, just just an absolute nice guy, nice baby face. And, and certain moments, the one moment that, that jumps out for me with Tito Santana, and, and like you said kind of, Dave, where it's like the, the women want to be with him, um, Children admire him. Guys want to be him. And, and I'll add, like, just kind of a, a little, like, footnote to that, but they're modest about it. Uh, you know, that's the thing. They have all those characteristics, but they don't throw it in their face. They don't even realize that they're that great. They don't realize 
that women want to be with them. They just they do what they do because that's who they are. And the one thing, the one aspect of Tito, the one moment that always struck me when I was young was when he had um, a program with Greg the Hammer Valentine and beat Valentine for the Intercontinental. And Valentine was so pissed at losing, he took the belt and, and destroyed it up against the steel cage. Just smashed the belt, dented it up, um, you know, just you know, just did everything he could to disrespect the belt because he was pissed that he lost to Tito. And after that, Tito would go would show up on interviews with the damaged intercontinental belt and would cut promos where, you know, it it doesn't matter what the belt looks like. It's the pride I have in having this championship. I'm the intercontinental championship. It doesn't matter what the and it was just such an admirable trait in a character to, to be like, you know, you, you could destroy the, the materialistic embodiment of this championship, but you can't take away the fact that I'm a champion right now. And, and to me, that's like the consummate nice guy, the guy who needs to be on the nice list, the guy who is just the consummate baby face. And that was a moment that, that really stuck out for me as a young fan, as that's somebody that I admire. That's a trait to look up to. And and Tito's a great name. And, again, we really didn't organize this show. I, I have some notes. I don't have Tito jotted down. Shame on me. Excellent point. Rocky, your thoughts? Well, yeah. Tito was one of those characters that was in, enduring and endearing. Uh, could absolutely win over a crowd, was a a consummate professional in in every sense of the word. And he wasn't this big, flashy, you know, he wasn't a big, flashy guy. It wasn't about, oh, how many flips he's going to do. Is he going to come off the top rope? Uh, You know, he could wrestle, he could work in the ring, and he just had that air of, you know what, this is a respectable guy. And uh, uh, another person I'll put in that vein and along the same lines is a personal favorite of mine, and and I'm going to say Pedro Morales, Uh, you know, the first Triple Crown champion, uh, who in my my view is one of the more underrated champions in WWE. You know, after after he got out, he didn't didn't do much, didn't hear from him a lot, but when he was in the ring, you know, he had that air of, this is a man you got to respect. And when the bell rung, it was all business. But he just, at least to me, he had that air of being, all right, this is a good guy. Guy you don't want to mess with, but a definite stand-up guy who stood up for, you know, he stood up for Puerto Rico. He was a very. He had a lot of pride in his in his roots, and he really was a beacon for his people, and just one of the guys within the wrestling world that I personally admire. And and that's another that's another good choice. Another guy that embodied that like that nice guy feel that like and and guys that um you know, just you looked up to, you admired. And, and you're right, probably a guy that's not looked at um, as favorably historically as he probably should be. 
You know, one guy jumps out at me, and, and it's not my era, so it's tough for me to really speak on the impact. But when you read the stories and, and you, you see how he carries himself and, and just um, how popular he was back in the days, I think of Bruno San Martino, um, you know, the guy that, that was the, the top baby face of his era, uh, setting records at Madison Square Garden. But, you know, ultimately, like almost to your point, Dave, you know, when you think of Bob Backlund, another great choice, the kind of blue-collar guy. Um, you know, Bruno San Martino almost embodied that that blue-collar immigrant kind of character, a guy who, you know, came to America for a better life and just worked his ass off to be who he was. Soft-spoken, uh, just would tell it like it is, and I'm going to go in the ring, I'm going to take care of business. Um, incredibly popular for, for his era. A guy, look, his verbal skills and everything he did back in the day, could Bruno San Martino get over in today's wrestling? Um, honestly, could Bruno San Martino get over in wrestling post-Hulk Hogan? Probably not, but that does not diminish the fact that he was the man. And when I look historically at certain guys that I think embody that guy who's going to be on the nice list, I, I do look at, you know, I think Backlund was an excellent choice. And I don't know your thoughts, Dave, but I think Bruno San Martino is kind of a guy that fits a similar bill there. Yeah, he does with Backlund and with Tito and even with Pedro Morales, like Rocky mentioned. You know what else Bruno did? He, 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 I'm glad you brought that up, the, the Italian immigrant factor. He bridged the gap with, with, with Italian-Americans, just like Pedro Morales bridged the gap with the Puerto Rican audience and the Puerto Rican wrestling fans and, and just, just the impact that he had just an overall good guy. Like, like you said, it's before our era, but I've watched some of the older stuff. Like when Larry Zabisco turned on him and, and it was at the time it was seen as like one of the most dastardly attacks that anyone could, could perform on someone. Zabisco was San Martino's, you know, student. He was teaching, you know, San Martino was teaching him the ropes and Zabisco wanted to elevate his career. So he thought taking out his teacher was the best option. And Bruno didn't, you know, rant and rave and, 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 you know, grunt and, and, and yell and scream about getting a match with Zabisco. He just basically said, I'm going to get him in the ring and I'm going to teach him a lesson. Very soft spoken, just down to business and kind of fits that build. Another guy who I think that doesn't get enough love as a baby face. He gets, he gets definitely high praise for his in-ring work. Um, which he should, but for for just being an overall guy in and of itself, the, a true epitome of what a baby face is is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. He was another guy, yeah. very family, very family man. Um, you know, just had those core family values. He worked hard in the ring. He was very talented. And you you brought up a great point when you told that story about the Kodiak Bear and why the heel cheats is because the baby face is better. Steamboat was that better baby face wrestler. He was that good. That's why Randy Savage heading into WrestleMania three had to take his throat out with the ring bell because he knew he couldn't beat Ricky Steamboat. Ricky Steamboat, in my opinion, I'll, here, you want to, you want to do countdowns? You want to do lists? I'll give you a list of top five baby faces of all time. Steamboat's in that list. You know who else in that list? Ricky Morton, Dusty Rhodes, Hulk Hogan, and Shawn Michaels. Those are my top five baby faces of all time right there. And that's an interesting list. And, and Ricky Steamboat's another great candidate, you know, a guy that, um, 
you know, he just played that part so well. And, and did anyone, you know, you bring up Matraman, but, you know, Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair, like, was there there any two guys better at playing that face heel dynamic and, uh, um, you know, just a, a brilliant worker in the ring and, and kind of, again, that, that you know, it's, it's very interesting when you look at, like, the, the face dynamic and, and the guys who are going to be on the nice list because you look at a guy, and a lot of what we're talking about, we're talking about guys that, like, lunch pail types and we're looking at Bruno San Martino and we're looking at Bob Backlund and, and soft spoken, get in the ring, you know, do their job and leave. And then lo and behold, the eighties hit and that lunch pail, just be soft spoken and do your job goes out the window. And well, you know something, brother, the larger than life Hulkamania takes shape and arguably you look back on the 80s, I mean, no disrespect to, to John Cena, no disrespect to, to uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin when you look at guys who are like, we're at the top of the business, top baby faces. Uh, but, but society has changed, times have changed, uh, merchandising has changed, there's more outlets um, to, to view wrestlers. Hogan wasn't on a weekly live wrestling program back in the 80s, so a lot of times when you try to compare guys, it's like comparing apples and oranges. Living through Hulkamania, no wrestler, I'm sorry, no wrestler took over pop culture and society the way Hulk Hogan did in the 80s. There's just, I, I don't think anyone compared to it. Um, again, and that's not saying Stone Cold was not, did not cross over. It's not saying John Cena has not crossed over. But in the 80s with Hulkamania, it was just something different. And, um, you know, when I think of the, the top baby faces in the history of wrestling, I, I'm always going to go back to Hulk Hogan. And, and it's really intriguing when you look at, like, the different baby faces over time, the guys that are going to make the nice list. And it's funny because when you think about baby faces and we're using the, the moniker of who's on the naughty list, who's on the nice list, and when you think of the top baby faces, and we have, like, our lunch pail group that we just kind of talked about, we have, like, the in-your-face Hulk Hogan kind of larger-than-life baby face. Uh, you got the John Cena, the consummate nice guy that just is, is a guy who does things for kids, just everything you, you could possibly want in a human being. And then you got Stone Cold Steve Austin, who is just a beer-swilling, ass-kicking son of a bitch who is one of the most popular guys in the history of wrestling, had a great run as a babyface. But when I use the moniker naughty or nice, it's very difficult for me to put Stone Cold Steve Austin on the nice list. Top babyface, absolutely, but that character was far from nice. And it's amazing when you think of top babyfaces in, in the world of pro wrestling and how different it was during the Attitude Era because you had guys like The Rock and Stone Cold that, you know, Stone Cold would have a tag match and turn on his tag team partner at the end of Raw and the place would pop for it. He was doing heel things that the fans were into. The Rock would make fun of the crowd and the fans would be into it. So it's interesting when you think of Top Babyface and how, like, the evolution has been and, and, and where, where different characters fit. Um, it's very intriguing, like, the, the uh, maybe the state of the country and where we're at 
and and what that means as far as our top baby face. But all those guys, I know I'm I'm saying a lot. So when I when I throw it over, I'm gonna throw it to you, Rock, next. So you can just whatever you want to talk about, just jump on it. But I for me, I don't think anyone compares to the way Hulk Hogan was able to take over the ultimate baby face. He is definitely 80s, not Hollywood, 80s Hogan, definitely making the nice list. Lots of stuff to chew on. Rock, your thoughts. No, you, you absolutely threw a lot of names out there, and I, I can definitely agree with you. You make great points as far as, you know, do you call Stone Cold nice? Uh, it, it certainly wasn't exactly his thing. You know, at, at, the, at most, I would say you can say – Stone Cold was for Stone Cold. And he just so happened to want to beat on Vince McMahon, which everyone was on board for. And as far as popularity, comparative to Hogan, yeah, Hogan is obviously, a, he, he, is, he is the summit. He is the pinnacle. Uh, as far as people who have gotten close, you, you throw out some names out there. Uh, you know, as far as those names, maybe... Maybe Rock, if he maybe the Rock could have if he stayed with the business uh, uh, longer, if he had stuck out his time in WWE, he he was on his way. Oh, he he did achieve greatness, and honestly, it looks like he's achieved more greatness uh, outside of the WWE than in. But to his credit, you know. The Rock never forgets where his roots are, and he does give his props to his wrestling fans, and he's never forgotten it. And, you know, some of the inspirational stuff that he posts, I I would think it's safe to say that this year Mr. Johnson is definitely going to end up on the nice list. But one name that wasn't thrown out there, that was a name of the Attitude Era, that wasn't so much of a... Uh, insulting the crowd type of guy or an in-your-face type of guy. He definitely carved out his own little niche, and he still continues to do that to this day. And I'm going to I'm gonna say it's Mrs. Foley's baby boy, Mick Foley, as Mankind, who took a character who started out very, who's, you know, very deranged, who was supposed to be an answer to The Undertaker, and... <laughs> He kind of evolved into just this goofy, foppish character, I guess, as more as Mick injected more of himself into it, that you couldn't find, you couldn't help but find lovable, especially when he came up with segments like Rock, This Is Your Life. You know, definitely one of the nicer guys in wrestling, definitely one of the nicer guys today. I venture to say that, yeah, you can put Mick Foley on that nice list. What I wonder, though, is when we look at the nice list, I mean, number one, Mick Foley's probably putting the list together because we all know his, his obsession with Santa Claus and Christmas. But that being said, is Mick Foley, Foley, Mankind, Dude Love, and Cactus Jack all make the list? Uh, fair question. Uh, and in the, in, the, in the interest of schizophrenia, um, I guess you could split that down the middle because... Dude Love, sure. Uh, Cactus Jack, I don't think you'd describe Cactus Jack as nice. And Mankind, you could kind of flip a coin depending on what Mankind you want to get. 
Good stuff. Dave, Dave, your thoughts on, like, historically, like, who you – I mean, yeah, you had your top five. It's really intriguing when you look at the, the Attitude Era and, and guys that would be on that, that top babyface list because of such a different era. And, it, and it's interesting, Rock. I mean, you brought up a good point about The Rock. Um, you know, here's a guy that – there's no wrestler that has achieved the crossover success that that Dwayne Johnson has. However, he did it after leaving the business where – the Rock becomes a guy that's, that's very intriguing as far as where you place him historically. And I agree with you. If he stayed, who knows if he would have had a John Cena. I think The Rock would have been the top guy for a long time. But that all being said, Dave, we talk about, you know, faces and guys on the nice list. It just gets really intriguing when you start talking about those baby faces of the Attitude Era, uh, a much different version of a baby face. Well, Foley is definitely probably the closest thing to a babyface in that attitude era, and I'm glad that Rock brought that. In order for you to be a good babyface, you have to take a good beating well, and you have to come at, and have to have a good comeback from it. And Mick Foley took a beating very well, and the audience sympathized with him as der- he took that that deranged mankind character, and it, it went from being like. Hannibal Lecter to like Teddy Ruxpin like and and just people were like you know sympathetic towards that character in many ways and because he took a beating so well and he got back up from it and he just kept coming back for more people people identified with that in some reason in some ways and I think that's what probably made him a great baby face during an era where there were a lot of shades of gray um, I, I will say though, I will agree with I will agree with Rock. Cactus Jack definitely doesn't make the naughty list because he was a sick son of a bitch that would do just about anything to hurt somebody. Um, as lovable as Dude Love may be, Dude Love did also sell out and and was the first person to really kind of join Mr. McMahon and 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 kind of go that way um, against Steve Austin when Austin first won the belt. So I wouldn't put Dude Love on the on the nice list either, but definitely Mankind because of just how lovable he can be and, and take a beating so well that the, that the audience can sympathize with him. Another guy who took beatings very well that became such a good baby face. He's kind of got a little bit of that blue collarness to him at the same time. He's got a little bit of an edge to him, a little bit of an attitude um, was diamond Dallas page. Diamond Dallas pages character went from being a manager to a subpar wrestler to you know, winning the lottery. This guy, I remember his character won the lottery and then he lost all his money. He was poor. And then he ended up winning the, 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 the WCW battle bowl. And he kind of, he kind of grew into a performer and that diamond cutter really helped get him over as a move that like people just love to see him put on people. Um, it was one of those moves that like you, you never saw it coming. It just came out of nowhere. A lot of people think Orton, Randy Orton's RKOs are pretty cool, but there wouldn't be an RKO if there wasn't a diamond cutter, in my opinion. Um, and DDP kind of, I think, he, he embodied a mixture of that, you know, blue-collar baby face, but had a little bit of an attitude to him, took a beating real well. Um, but I got a question for both of you guys, because I'll agree with you, Ken. I think Hulk Hogan is the greatest baby face of all time, like as far as popularity goes and how long he ran with that. But here's a question for you. I think behind him, like I said, I gave you my top five, and Dusty was in my top five. But to, a question to both of you guys. If du- Dusty Rhodes came into the WWF in 1988, late 88, early 89, I would say, and Dusty Rhodes actually came in 89, I'm sorry. 
Um, he came in at 89, did the polka dots thing, and for the most part, Dusty Rhodes was like an anchor in the middle of the card. He was a mid-card guy, if you think about it. He never fought for the belt. What if, okay, what if Vince McMahon decided, I'm going to push Dusty Rhodes as a top guy right up there with Hogan, just like he was pushed in the NWA and for Jim Crocker promotions? Would Hogan have had the same amount of success at that time in 1989 in the WWF if Dusty Rhodes was right on his tail as the number two babyface? It's, it's a really good question. Um, and who knows? Because, I mean, Dusty's a guy that, like, if Dusty was given the opportunity to, to cut uh, Dusty promos up in the WWF, um, who knows? I, I The only thing that, that that um, it, it's geographic. I I I kind of think that in terms of the WWE being centered in the Northeast, um, the larger than life god that Hulk Hogan was, chiseled out of granite, twenty-four inch pythons, um, would still resonate better with the WWF crowd than. The let, let, let's face it, like nobody was clamoring to to a uh, picture and saying, you know, join our gym and you could look like Dusty Rhodes. Um, so I I think that's one of the things that probably would have held them back a bit in the WWF um, as far as him being able to compete for the spotlight with Hulk Hogan. However, I do think it would have been something where if Vince said we're pushing Dusty, he's going to be up there that Hogan would not be able to rest on his laurels, that Hogan would have to be like, all right, my promos have got to be stepped up. i got to do my job. Um, I still think Hogan would have a leg up because of his look, but it's an interesting conundrum. It's one of those things. I mean, Dusty, even if he wouldn't have impacted Hogan's popularity, he, it is one of those questions that you do wonder if he really was pushed in the WWF to main event status, what could he have done? Um, no right or wrong answer, but it's definitely an interesting thing to, to, to brainstorm and fantasy book about. What do you think, Rock? Uh, I, I think Dave is asking an excellent question because, to your point, Ken, you know, no, no, no one's going to, you know, no one's going to say that Dusty's going to beat Hogan in a pose down. But by the same token, uh, you know, Dusty, Dusty's strength. I mean, when I listen to Dusty's promos, I liken him to a preacher just pounding his fist on the pulpit, getting everyone whipped up into a frenzy, because that's the kind of thing that Dusty could do. Dusty could sway crowds and have them hang on his every word, and they can make him, Dusty could make him feel that passion that he felt, and almost as if you were in that ring with him, you know, just willing him to survive, willing him to keep on going. And not to say that Hogan didn't do that. H- Hogan did that more with his physicality. But, you know, here it's, it's it would be the whole argument of, of how you get from point A to point B. Obviously, there's two different ways to get there, but which would be the easier way? Um, it's an interesting thought. It's an interesting thought. And it's a kind of a shame that there, you – there's no way to know for sure because I'm obviously a big Hogan fan, big Dusty fan. 
um, it would have been interesting to see how that would have played out. Yeah, I mean that's you know I mean there's no there's no denying Dusty's charisma. So it's tough. again I would say that Hogan would still be the top guy, but definitely would have been an an, an interesting conundrum. And and when we talk about baby faces. I mean, you know, Dave, great name to bring up, but uh, you know, Dusty Rhodes, a guy that uh, just a blue collar guy, and you know, part of his charm that made him work. And I kind of joked about it, but his physique was kind of his charm, you know. You know, his belly is just a little big. Um, you know, a guy that just was the consummate baby face and uh, just a great all-around talent. Uh, I don't think enough could be said, Dave, as far as how great Dusty Rhodes was. No, I mean, he identified with middle America, with the common man. That's why he was the common man. He was the American dream, you know. he, You know, his belly's just a little too big. Mahani just a little too big. I mean, he made guys that looked like him that sat on the couch and watched wrestling he made those people believe you know he made those people believe that they could achieve anything whether it's in sports whether it's in your career whether whatever it may be whether you think you can get the hottest girl at the dance he made those fat guys with the big white afros believe that they could do anything and that to me like he connected not only just mainly with that audience but he connected with everybody because of the gift of gab and his look and you know, I, 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 he definitely, for all the good things his character did over the years in fighting off the horsemen and all the evils that he went through, I mean, he was, he was a, a blue-collar superhero, in my opinion, and he was, he definitely deserved to be on the nice list, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Uh, you know, and he was, I mean, he was, you're right, like, he was the guy that, like, he was a common man. You know, he was a common man, and that, uh, you know, just the constant baby face. Uh, it's just it's intriguing to think like what Dusty could have done if if brought to the WWF and, and given that chance to move in the main event status. Um, you know, we've got less than two minutes left. I mean, I, you know, we could go. I think we kind of hit on it, but I, I you know I think it's it's kind of we're in agreement that uh, Hogan's probably the the biggest baby face of all time. No disrespect to the other baby faces. Um, and we hit upon, like, the underrated baby faces. Uh, with a minute and a half left, I'll shoot to both of you. Dave, anything you'd like to say about guys who are making the nice list uh, as we run it down? I mean, I think we I think we covered a lot of ground tonight on the naughty list and the nice list. I, I, this is one of our better shows. I'm glad that we did this one. I know I bugged the hell out of you guys for weeks to do something like this, but I thought this would be really cool, really fun to dissect. Thank you guys so much for 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 making it helping make this happen. This was a fun night for me. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was a great idea, and, and like it, using the uh, juxtaposition with the holidays and naughty and nice list. I think we hit a lot of great points. Rocky, what are your thoughts to wrap the show up? No, I I thought Dave had a great idea uh, when the show was presented, and I've had a lot of fun. Just one name I want to throw out there real quick that we didn't really get to touch on that we probably should have. On the WCEW side of the house, this is Sting. Would probably be winding up on the nice list. But that could be for another show. (laughs) Good point. And you know what? If you guys have any names, head on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Ken Reedy Show. Give us some names. We also threw up the Dusty question. Uh, If Dusty was pushed in the 80s, could he have supplanted Hogan? Give us your thoughts on that. 
We'll be back next week. Dave on location. Final show 2017. For Dave and Rock, I'm Ken. Good night, everybody.